In this episode of Navigating the Noise, I am joined by Brian Corshane, CEO of Digital Asset Investment Management. Today we will discuss why and how Brian built a first-of-its-kind RIA dedicated to digital assets. He and his team are passionate about crypto and providing education and attention to detail in a manner that fits within the investor portfolio. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Archetype Wealth Partners or its advisors. The mention of different asset types or securities do not constitute a recommendation for our clients. If you have any questions about the content of this podcast, please contact your advisor. All right, everybody. Today, I've got with me Brian Corshane from Dame. Uh, They are the first or one of the first uh, RIAs in the crypto space. And so we're happy to have you on, Brian. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you guys are today. Yeah, thank you. So a little bit about me and my background. Uh, I started back in uh, surprisingly construction and worked in that field for a little bit and then experienced the uh, the great housing crash. And, and that kind of pushed me out and, and led me to find another career path, which ended up being finance where I started on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange writing paper tickets uh, for an options broker dealer. And then I ended up working my way to trading in the crowd, uh, which was a a unique career change in in less than a year. Exciting. Uh, And to see all the experiences and the way things really happened on the New York Stock Exchange was was really, really cool uh, and learned a ton, um, stuff that carried over to today. And then from there, I worked in the industry as equity derivative sales and um, got into Bitcoin and then decided I wanted to build my own business. And that was late 2017 and 2018. Ended up moving to California over here because it's just awesome. And uh, there's a little bit of a financial sector right here in, in Newport Beach and started building digital asset investment management to be the first of its kind registered investment advisor um, and asset manager for digital assets. Well, that's cool. Uh, definitely a neat background, a lot of uh, volatility and uh, kind of across a couple of different sectors. Um, I share uh, passion for options and volatility as well. So I, I get it from a Bitcoin side, but what, um, is there anything maybe from those three different uh, moves from, from construction and the boom bust there to options, the volatility there in traditional markets, and then the volatility and whatnot in crypto markets? Was there anything you learned that carried across all three or you kind of took one from something from each? Yeah. So there's one thing that across all three for sure. And it's quality. You got to do a quality of work and service. You got to communicate and you got to deliver quality. And, and you're going to find that that's similar in any business, but I learned that very early on in construction. And that's actually what got me to, you know, be successful when I transitioned careers. Like I might not have been the most experienced. I had zero experience, in fact, when I got to New York. Um, but I, I knew that if I paid attention and I delivered the reports and, and the trade executions with quality, that, that that would lead me somewhere. And it did. And it worked out. And I translate to that day with, with, with this business that we have. So it sounds like one uh, key there, and you hear it a lot nowadays, first principles. And, and really, if you start at first principles, it's foundations, whether it be foundations of a house have to be correct, foundations of options, create trading, uh, writing tickets. It's no fun. I've done it. It was decades ago, uh, but writing tickets, um, it's much easier to hit buttons. Um, and then in crypto, going through the regulatory process of setting up a first of its kind, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, headaches and, and red tape and, and whatnot you had to navigate. So you had to figure out the foundation 
uh, within this industry. What did that process look like uh, just in setting up the firm um, in an area that it exists, but not is not common? It's not common at all. In fact, that there was no blueprint for it out there. Uh, for a traditional investment advisor, you can go to a company like RAA in a box and literally get one off the shelf. And you just click in a couple things. It puts your name here and there, your address, AUM, boom, you upload it and get your ADV and it's done. Um, for this business, I built everything from scratch in the ADV filing. So all the narrative that would be for traditional assets was spelled out for digital assets. And it didn't quite translate. And, and one area in particular was kind of the elimination of a broker dealer where this space doesn't have one and regulators kind of get got tripped up in the beginning on understanding like well wait a minute like how does this work like the assets are more attached directly to the investor and going through that process was was, was difficult to explain but yeah it was all fresh no path like kind of just discovery and and that came from some of my background where you look at a situation like a blueprint and you envision how you're going to translate that into action. But at, at this point, I had to make the blueprint and put it into action. So that past experience helped me with this. And that's one of the things, the goals that I have with this podcast and, and talking to people like you is just providing that understanding. So you have the traditional markets on one side, the crypto markets on the other, but there's this void in the middle. Obviously, there were probably things you learned about uh, setting up a firm, but were there things that you felt like you taught regulators along the way? in terms of how, hey, it's not this business that you don't really know anything about. It's very similar. They just use different names or have different custody solutions. Yeah, there was a lot of education. So at first, when the application was put in, they come back with a lot of questions. And even the way that the questions were phrased, a person that's deep and knowledgeable in digital assets, you'd be like, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't even make sense. Like You didn't even line up. So you had to, to take a step back and, and almost like, like, like as if you were going to orange peel somebody, right? And, and teach them about the asset and walk them through. And the way that I did that a lot was, was using the person as an example. I'm like, okay, well, you're, you're the investor. This is how we're going to onboard you. This is what the client profile, the IMA is going to look like. This is what the wire instructions are going to look like. This is what the investment plan is going to look like. And just taking them through step by step. And then when we went through that, then we worked backwards to fill in the requirements and things that they wanted to see, which in the end really turned out to be a lot of risk disclosures because this was 2018. Remember, mm -hmm. we all know mm -hmm. the, 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 the graph was in a, in a downward slope. At <laughs> right. <laughs> Did you guys get caught um, in, in terms of having issues with fundings and traditional bank accounts trying to fund the business? So, cause I know in that period, 2017, 18, I think it was more 18 banks started cutting off just funding for anybody that was trading, buying, setting up businesses related to, did you guys run any? You got a really good memory. And that's the <laughs> part that, I, that, that hasn't been brought up really since because it kind of went away. But yes, I did. Uh, the, the banks uh, like Wells Fargo and then like once they, once I filled out a business application and they saw digital assets in the name, it was, it was off. There's nothing to mm -hmm. do. No business here. No business here. Um, I tried to do some boutique banks, but meanwhile, I had a personal bank account at Bank of America. And one of the days uh, I went over there because there was a, 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 like I had to actually activate a new debit card. Yep. <laughs> and so I, I was like, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is right. Yep. Um, so I go into the branch here 
And the girl was really friendly and she was like, oh, we have like a business line and stuff like we do. And I'm like, oh, I got an interesting business. And she's like, oh, we can take care of it. And right there, so it, we ended up using Bank of America, um, who was really one of the only friendly ones at the time that allowed us to open a business and a business bank account, right, in the industry um, to, to operate. So yeah, it was, it was great that that, that kind of clicked together and, and worked out. And uh, I, I do think from the Bank of America side, there's, they've become a, more friendly, but there's a lot of things probably in the works over there to, to get themselves up to speed in the industry down the road. And interestingly, it may not be the case now, but I, I think early on it was, they have, I believe, some of the most, most patents on crypto technology and whatnot. So I guess maybe behind the scenes, all banks don't hate crypto. Yeah. Um, and JP Morgan's so, playing catch up. Yeah, exactly. You know, removing a little mud off the face. Um, yeah. So if you kind of step back for you personally, what was a light bulb moment? Maybe you're in the options pits or, or wherever you might've been uh, early on where you really got crypto. It wasn't just this funny internet nerd money. It was something valuable. And then on top of that, where do you see today now that you have a firm set up to trade, manage crypto for other people, where do you see light bulb moments for, for potential investors that, that maybe are still on the fence? So it, it started uh, in like 2012, 2013. I was looking for alternative investments just for money that I was making myself um, outside of just being long stocks or, or the bank that I was at. So uh, just doing research, coming in and looking for volatile assets, but I also love technology. So I'd read Wired Magazine and kind of look for like, you know, illiquid alternative investments. And I started reading and came across Bitcoin. You know, it just kind of popped up. So uh, a little under a year reading about it. And then in 2014, when our government did the, did the auction that, that Barry Silbert and Tim Draper went after, I had the aha moment. It was, our government's not going to sell something that they're going to deem illegal. And when that, ex, when, when that auction went off successfully, then that's when I bought <clears throat> and it was there. So I, I, I started with this position there. And then from then, once you have a position on in something so exciting, you just get immersed in it and, and it's just, it just expands and goes. So yeah, that was, uh, that was the aha moment. And looking back on that now and where we're at, it, it might not seem like it was that long ago, especially when you compare it to the traditional space. But then if you look at the history of Bitcoin, that's a, that's a good portion of the time. And mm -hmm. then you, you look at the business that I have here, you know, a little over three years old, that might sound young too, but that's still a good durational chunk of, you know, Bitcoin and even ether. So it's a lifetime in crypto lifetime, lifetime, every, every quarter is a year. And it just goes, man, it just evolves. So you know, th that aha moment for me um, allowed me to, well, I, I was really the only one on, on my floor, maybe even in my building that had a position, but people knew about it, you know, because it's, it's a hot topic to talk about, but people come to me for help. Hey, I, I got some on a USB. What do I do? Um, hey, uh, you know, I, I want to buy some of these. Where do I go? You know, kind of things. And um, it, it, that was just always something kind of, kind of happening to me. And then obviously in 2017, uh, sitting on, on a vol desk watching trades go more algorithmic versus voice and having some more free time and watching this market go, the requests were, were really coming in. Um, so you know, I felt like it was time to take a leap and, and use my background to build this. Well, con congrats on getting it going and, and staying alive. Uh, we work with a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs, and, you know, those early years are key and they're tough. And, uh, 
just kind of living to fight another day is always a, a good thing. Um, so I think I heard um, follow kind of government entities, what they're doing, what they're thinking about, what they're uh, maybe selling, buying, um, and then following other smart, proven venture capitalists, hedge fund investors or whatnot um, kind of led you to where you are today. That's exactly right. Yep. Same question, other side of the coin, what uh, from coming through, and I know it was really just options, but coming through a traditional financial background, that route over to crypto, what maybe that you learned in the traditional space held you back a little bit longer from maybe jumping in or just cutting down some of the... I look at this one and there's really just one clear thing and I, and I still see it today. It's really reporting and statements in the space. And it's something that might seem so simple on the surface, but quarterly statements to investors, yeah, they look good and, and you can send them a digital asset statement individually, but it's not tied in with anything else. It's not coupled with their stocks. It's not showing you know, uh, unrealized losses and gains. Like These things are still yet to be developed out. And I knew that early on um, and, and we used to self-make statements here and now we have you know, a partner and we do them with, but they, they're still a long ways off and they've got a lot more room to run. Um, and yes, they're not paper anymore, but people still, they want to see something. They want to, they want to say, okay, you know, uh, every, every three months I, I look at this account and I want to see what it's doing. Um, or, you know, even online there is still not blended. So mm -hmm. that, that component, early on gave me some hesitation that I didn't know, you know, how we were going to deliver statements and provide stuff to people and, and you know, you just take a risk and put together the best you can tell the early investors and, and friends and family that it's going to work out. It's going to get better. And they've re they've been rewarded that by the price, because as the industry improves these aspects of it, it also inherently brings in more investors also bringing up the price, right? Mm -hmm. so, early on so yeah it was it was it was that it's it's really reporting and, and statements so early on was that um maybe handmade excel obviously you know fitting legal terms but uh kind of manually done on you guys uh in the early days is that how it kind of started exactly, that's exactly right yeah that's yeah exactly right and and now i believe you mentioned before uh, you you guys are working with a firm that's maybe early stage kind of doing the similar to how traditional alternatives have been done so, uh, well, this, this, we might get into this topic a little bit later. So Gemini is our kind of like partner program that mm -hmm. we're with and, and we have like a suite built out inside of them. So now Gemini like kicks out statements, what needs to happen and what we're experimenting with is some platforms to kind of merge those statements in with traditional stock statements. Mm -hmm. And, and that is something from the traditional wealth management space and, and, we're just kind of using on exchange uh, products where we use them for clients. Um, that is a big deal. We don't do a lot of private deals. Um, been at firms in the past where you do them. If you're in a wirehouse, there's always a whole platform, but uh, it is a big deal when a client can't see all their assets together or at least reported together. Uh, so uh, that, that, that's something that's not fun to work through. Yeah. On that front, in the last couple of years, advisors have, have avoided this space primarily because of the volatility or, do. yeah. <laughs> so what do you think they should um, kind of embrace 
And how do you think maybe they can make their businesses, their personal business with their clients better by adopting it? There's, there's something they can do personally. And then there's something that's just out of their control at this moment. But every one of them personally can do something. They can educate themselves. They could buy some if they're allowed to, which is, might be out of their control, which is part two to talk about in this. But just own a little bit of Bitcoin, get started. Once you own a little bit, you're going to learn. You got to learn. You got to understand what's going on. You got to know that you got to know the history of it. Um, you're not going to be a fiduciary in the space right away out the gate, but you got to start somewhere and, and, and get that done. And, and I, you'll see in other you know, readings and stuff, educate, 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 but it can't be said enough. Um, but education, I feel, is only about price appreciation on the surface. And a very small amount of these advisors will actually go and read stories about the evolution of the, the space. Mount Gox, you know, what happened there? Like, what does it really mean with private keys? Um, you know, what, what happened in the early days of lending, like with cred, you know, like th th these are some core things that actually like learning those boring topics would actually probably help them more than, all right, you know, like well, what, what does the price do on technicals? Like, you know, it typically mm -hmm. does this and that, like we're, we can't predict the future. Right. <laughs> really <be> <laughs> here you know like like what you, what you can do is have a better basis of, of the industry and know and the other one is out of their control their their firm uh whether it be a big wirehouse or one of the broker dealers um i got i actually got to flip this back to you I, I believe it's jp morgan is you can get access to gbtc now but the advisor has to say a disclaimer he or he can't tell you he or she can't tell you that that, that to buy it or not buy it is that correct if i got that right they're specifically i know they just in the last couple of days i read the headline and i read a little bit um i didn't read deep enough to see it but that sounds i'll go back and do research that sounds pretty normal coming yeah. out of a wirehouse there's a lot of um if i throw a little shade there there's a lot of don't do this, but you can do this, which is basically reading right to left instead of left to right. So um, you can now trade crypto, but you can't tell them to buy it. So it's, you know, um, however you need to say it. I, I've talked to a number of advisors that, that have called me or that, that I get brought in conversations with and they want to know how are you doing it or, or what are you doing? Um, and it's kind of the same thing. It starts with education. Um, and so I think JP Morgan... Um, and, and the other guys, there are avenues, there are ways for clients to buy it and it's better for them to make informed purchases or sales or whatever it may be with someone like an advisor that can, you know, you may not give them specifics on an asset, but you can say, Hey, look, this is how markets work. This is what generally happens when, when these types of, um, situations occur, this is what you want to look for. These are your risk. I mean, that's as a fiduciary, that's really what your job is to just inform them, educate them of the real risk. And so that's kind of the approach I, I take because you get a lot of questions. Um, but I personally think on the advisory side, you're not being a fiduciary if you take the traditional uh, stance of the wirehouse model up until recently where no, you can't talk about it because it, it, it's, it's hard to say, well, that's the best performing asset for the last decade and you can't own it or you can't touch it or we know your clients are buying and selling it outside of you but you just can't talk to them about it i, I don't 
I don't subscribe. And most of them, all they do to make their case easy, so they don't have to talk about it a lot with their client or, or say all that, is they just go, oh, you know, it, look, it just sold off. Look, look, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's down a lot. Mm -hmm. And that kind of like, you know, they, they wipe their hands and they move away, you know? Mm -hmm. yep. And, and uh, that's just not, that's just not right. That's just and, and I'm a technician, a market technician by trade. That's what I do. I love price. Um, but honestly, the best time, in my opinion, and I'd love to hear your feedback to, to a learn in this market and to be, get the right allocation, whatever that is for you. For most people, I think it's probably somewhere between one and 3%. Most people, the average person, you know, just like Warren Buffett says, the average person probably should just buy the SPY and, you know, call it a day. Uh, he hasn't been wrong. Um, but the average person is one to 3%, whatever their risk tolerance fits, you know, um, and then in bear markets is the best time to learn and get that allocation because the learning takes a year or two, three, you're always learning. So what, what do you think on allocation? Um, and then in terms of realistic time frame to learn enough to kind of be educated, what do you think that looks like? Uh, let's start with the learning because you should really learn a bit before you, you go and get the allocation side of it. So you know, for us as an advisor and being able to manage the positions and, and give an opinion and, and do this for people, people can enter the market a lot quicker. They don't, they don't have to be so up to speed because they can onboard with us, you know, move over funds, and then we can take care of the investing you know, on our discretionary basis or what model portfolio we're running and take care of it for them and, and report back. But as you say, most of the space is self-directed or the advisor is giving them the risk disclosures, the, the investor themselves still needs to make the buy sell decision size and when, right, on, on where it goes. So um, education, again, coming back to not so much on technicals, on, on price, even though I, I know, Kane, that that's your background. <laughs> uh, but that can, but there's an important part of that, maybe when you're going to put the position on, like at yeah. time, yep. put a position on, like right around there, but not like in like learning about what's going on. Um, the you know, people will say, ah, go out and just just read the white paper. The white paper is pretty dry. I mean, we got it right here. It's it's one of the, the, the posters in the office right back there. Um, it, it's it, it's tough reading material. Um, mm -hmm. Most people don't understand anything that's said in there. That's right. That's right. So you you got to The best thing to do is is pick you know some good podcasts to do. Start reading about it, and then. With, to, to try to just remember anytime anybody brings up history and look that up and like, what was that event? Like what, what, what happened there? Or why did regulators come out a lot? Or why, why did China start doing that in 2013? Right? Because there's only so many different stories and they're going to come up and repeat themselves away. But while you're learning the core story of the issue, you're going to get pieces of like how Bitcoin works and why it's, come out from the, the, the trough and rise, you know, and, and to come against the, the wind again. Right. So, I, I think that's a very important point. I just want to, sorry to cut you off, but no, drive so I started in the business, I think in college I was trading, but started real work, getting a paycheck in the business 2006. Um, and so obviously right into 2007, that's your first couple of years, 2007, eight, nine, great time because you really learn how the infrastructure of the market worked. All, all these things have never been seen or only been seen once every hundred years. And that put me back to, okay, well, how does this work? So I ended up spending a couple of years 
reading about the greatest traders, which was 20, 20s, 30s, reading about the depression, reading about the 50s and 60s. And so I didn't really start in 2007-8. I just used those, connected the dots. Um, and around 2010, it was kind of, I guess, morphed into, well, what what is money anyways? And that's really the big question today and which piggybacks on where uh, Bitcoin came in 2009. And then most people found out somewhere between 2012 and 15. But that question, I think the average person is just now starting to answer. What is money? What is this thing? And so when you get educated on the history of money, as you said, Bitcoin starts to make a lot of sense and, and just cryptocurrencies in general. That's right. That's right. You're, you're going you're gonna to fall asleep reading about wallets and SIGs and 2FAs and all this stuff that goes on out there, cold storage. Like if you don't know what that is, like you're just, just going to put you to sleep. Get excited about a story. It's, it's, it's like headline news. And then you'll read about that story and you'll grasp the concepts that underlie and you'll see how the story evolved and come out and you'll be able to relate that to newer events that are happening, like the happening, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, you know, like what's the purpose of it and, and where did it go? And, and why does it matter? Like just besides that less of them are being issued, you should really understand like, okay, wh where did this come from? What does it look like? Mm -hmm. And, and from a technology standpoint for me, I'd, I'd love to hear what you think, but email, like how email came about and how much easier that made our lives was, is easier for, for people to grasp because they lived it. They saw it, they did it. They saw the pains in the early years and the ease today. Um, they see what Napster taught us about peer to peer, or they see what Netflix and Uber and Amazon with APIs and e-commerce, what that taught us. And they see what uh, Facebook did with social media, which is a little bit of an extension of peer to peer. And mm -hmm. when you stick all those things together, you have the tenets of cryptocurrency. And um, so how do you guys frame it in terms of a technology currency investment uh, I, I kind of look at it as a digital asset class. Do you think that fits the case or do you guys frame it a different way? We like to frame it a bit different and break them out. Um, so we don't think that like applying cryptocurrency to the whole space is really the right way to do it. Uh, we'd like to isolate it in more slivers. So think of, we like to think of cryptocurrency more as like a currency, right? Well, like what's a currency? It's something like a dollar. A dollar is really only worth a dollar, even though we all got to believe in it that it's worth a dollar. So if you're going to have a cryptocurrency, well, maybe that shouldn't move as much. And that's why some people say, oh, Bitcoin is never going to be a currency because it moves so much. Well, there's stable coins out there, right? And like those kind of products that want to be like without volatility should be more like stable coins, the CBDC mm -hmm. that will come out, right? So that's kind of like that sliver in that basket where you can change and then you can put them out to lend and, and get some APY and do different things like that. And then you have the digital asset side which is the alternative store of value. This is where we put Bitcoin, the king to go, right? Like the, the, the fixed amount, like liquid trades globally, like it's understood, easy to move. And then you have the utility side, which can blend over into the digital asset side where you have Ethereum, where you have all these components of things you were saying, like the peer-to-peer -peer network, the applications, the things that run. And then you also have the asset that has value that runs on top. So taking them into those slivers is really what we do in, in presenting it to clients and, and looking at the investments differently. And you guys do it, um, I think in kind of an SMA structure. So similar to, um, early days, 
I mean, they're still using it now, but uh, kind of earlier mutual fund type structure where um, people would send money to you guys, you guys send it to the custodian, you're just managing it, you're not really touching the dollars. Is that that correct? So everything is SMA. So every client has their own account and their own wallets. They have an exchange wallet and they have a custody wallet, but we sit on top and, and operate as the entity that can affect transactions. So they actually stay with the custodian Gemini inside their platform and they're surveillable to trade, but nobody, not two clients funds are ever commingled. Right. So that's, that's part of the beauty in, in, in digital assets is that you have real direct control of your assets. Like we can put them on a USB, give them to you, you can put them in your safe. Like we've done it. We've given them to guys like there, you have control of your, of your asset. And that's the best way to be. That's what's exciting about this. That brings up a question. It seems like the last couple of years, the insurance, though it's still a little murky when you read the fine print, um, but it has gotten better and, and Gemini and, and Coinbase and some of the others um, are offering a form of it. Is that something, is that a hurdle you guys have had to face? What does that look like on your, because from an investor, especially an institutional side in the early years, that was one of the big hangups. Well, why would I invest in this thing that I might lose the private key and seed words. And now all my money's gone and I don't have any FDIC insurance. Is that something you guys hear a lot? Is that a hurdle? Have you guys solved that? It's, it still comes up and I wouldn't say it's actually gotten reduced. It's about the same amount. There's probably a little bit less than, than we had and seen in the beginning, uh, three plus years ago, it's going to be, uh, isolating the FDIC component is unique. Um, because we've actually never seen that pin be used, even in the traditional side. Mm -hmm. So who's to know really what's going on? Um, you know, there's 250 grand there apparently per account. Uh, but the good part is, is now that's applicable um, to digital assets through Gemini. So Gemini has that for components of the investments that you have with them inside. So since they're our custodian and they hold the assets for our clients, it falls under that umbrella and then they have insurance. And then there's the optionality to actually buy more insurance on top of position should you want the ability to. Yeah, and, and that's a tough, I just wanna kind of bring it up because a lot of people ask about it. I, I have read over the last couple of years progressively gotten better, which is a good thing because it creates that adoption. Um, I, I think just the traditional investor is accustomed to feeling like they have it with their stocks and bonds and everything at their bank. and. Uh, it seemed to be a hurdle, but it does, in my opinion, look like it's it's kind of being removed uh, in one form or another. But uh, and so one one other question um, or one other other thing you mentioned here a minute ago was the trading, um, and you know everybody gets bulled up when markets are going crazy and they want to trade every asset under the sun. How do you guys look at that and and do you see that as negative? Is it is it better to take a long long term approach? maybe dollar cost average, uh, set an amount monthly, weekly, whatever. What's your view there? And, and how do you guys talk to clients about that? How many days do you got to talk about it? <laughs> All day. Yeah. So uh, let, let's see if we can break it down to like the, the, the major issues we see in the space. Um, early entrance into the space, people with not as much experience investing at all, oftentimes think that, that they could have sold the top and bought back at the bottom. And uh, we all know with some experience, that's extremely tough to do. Um, and then the other aspect that comes into it is like the, the work component. So 
people these days, especially with COVID and, and the work from home and the way things are kind of going back, still seem to have a bit more free time on their hands to where they're busy and they love their phone and they, it's gamified almost like they're, they're playing an adult video game and, and that's, a, that's a bit of an issue. Um, it's going to be extremely hard to be a professional trader or even move the market the way you want it to go because you're just not big enough. Right? Mm -hmm. Like that's even hard to do for, for huge whales. So um, the, the sometimes boring and it might seem in being long only and dollar cost averaging in has shown to be the better path and have a higher return. And it's, it, it can seem boring, but it's the way to go. And really infrequent trading. Everybody, the, the way platforms make money, we're assets under management. So we're, we're, we're a bit different, but just about everything in digital as, assets is self-directed execution-based, right? So like the, the, the more turns and churn you do, the more the fees go back to the platform. I mean, look at Robinhood, right? Like this is the way mm -hmm. that things go, but does that mean that it's good for you, the investor? somebody has to make that none both parties are going to make money on this right? and that that's a important point because you know seeing banks come into the space um even as early as 2017 it was obvious they would come in it was just a matter of time when because if you looked at their bank revenues assets under management fees were down the race to zero on fees commissions down uh, even prop desk gone away uh derivatives desk fees down commodities desk down so they lost revenue in all other facets of their business they had nowhere else to turn and you know then schwab comes out what was it 2019 or early 2020 i think it was 19 we're gonna charge nothing for trades then That's td right. does it then the banks have to do it so um that is a, a key point i think the average investor thinks that they see activity as a good thing and it, it's not if you're not yeah well which these guys are doing better now that it's free because widen the spreads, you know, more back from the market makers on, on, on the market, make, market makers, you know, make or taker fees and what goes on. So, you know, those are things to pay attention to, you know, free as people have seen uh, with, with Robin hood is, is not necessarily the way, but they've done an amazing job on the UI. And unfortunately this comes back to boring is like, you also can't be lazy, right? Like, do some work, find some, some good platforms out there where there's a lot of transparency, understand your fees. That way, you know, everything that's going on. Um, don't, don't just be, you know, short-sighted and, and looking for what's ever easy to, to, to gamify it. And I think that kind of answers one of the early questions. What do you bring from the traditional markets to the crypto markets? The boring investing is how you build wealth. It's not the, get rich quick, made two trades this year. Now I'm a millionaire. Um, though it seems like in this market and especially with everybody at home in 2020, just trading everything under the sun. I think I'm going to flip this question back to you because the answer will come out. I'm pretty sure in your network in the last six months, you've seen an increase in, Hey, what do you think about this coin? What do you think about this coin? What do you think about this coin? And it's really tough to make a case uh, outside of, of Bitcoin in these. There's so many things I can go into. You know, one, one on a topic level is, you know, you look at the holders in some of these like deep altcoins and four wallets hold almost 50% of the coins. I mean, come on, like, mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of control there and it's, that's not decentralized. So, you know, coming back to you, can I think you could, I know I see it and, and we do here, um, but I imagine you do, do you? Oh, I see it a ton. Um, even in stocks, I mean, early 2020, uh, all these people were trading all the bankrupt companies. You know, like literally had people call and say, hey, I heard the government's going to give these guys money. It's got to be a good thing. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, it's kind of like if your father-in-law had to give you money to float your lifestyle for the rest of your life, <laughs> do you think that's a good investment? Do you think um, you're going to go back to work and produce something that, that has value? No. Yeah. And, and so in these bull runs, to answer the question, I, that's fine because you do get every coin under the sun. What about this one? I was like, well, it's a penny. You know, if it goes to a dollar, cool, but you've got better odds in the top 10 coins, or maybe you find one in the top 30 that is real deal, but you, you still back to kind of pointing to the, the Bitcoin white paper. You have to read the white papers. The only way I've found to, to distinguish something that might be good from something that is just a scam, like an ICO world is number of buzzwords and having some kind of understanding of do people really want to do this and how many years will it be before we can actually have more than one company deliver this feature? Meaning, you know, do people really want to go to Walmart and how much stuff will they buy when they're there? And um, that's the only way around it. So I do get a lot of those questions. I try to ignore them and just point back to the education and really I mean, there's a lot of reasons profit-wise that you might want to buy or sell other things, but it's hard to kind of go against Bitcoin, Ethereum. I know um, there's different opinions. These tokens, coins, whatever you want to call them, networks are pretty religious uh, and they have cult-like opinions that get tied to them. But it's hard to beat the top two and it's hard to beat just figuring out what percent you need to own in your entire portfolio and working towards that, um, not going and buying it all in one day um, or not buying it all and just letting it ride because sometimes you do need to trim back just traditional portfolio management, which is one of my other questions for you. Is there a, a good percentage that you kind of think fits for the average investor's portfolio on the whole? So last year uh, was a bit of like 5%. You could see that you know, kind of across the board on like just light, you know, Google searching and, and everyone kind of felt safe. It wasn't a double digit number, you know, mm -hmm. somewhere between zero and 10. Uh, but we think that that number can go higher, uh, especially the younger you are and the more income you project to bring home. I mean, besides late retirees, everybody should have exposure to this space. It's the way we look at it. So we do see the number jump up into double digits and, and get pretty hefty, um, again, with, with, with younger people and projected income and it's, it's suitable. They got time to recover on this, but you know, yet to need to, to tap into that. We do a lot with planning and balance sheets and cash flow. I mean, to answer that question, you, you basically just said the same thing. You know, how much do you have? How much are you making? What's your income? Which means when you strip out all your expensive, what's left over, what can you invest? And then what realistically based on your age and, and risk profile and, and whatnot, makes sense. I think um, to, to answer the question you asked me a second ago too, is, is there's an extreme amount of FOMO. Um, and that's, I think 
a detriment to most investors these days because more often than not, you're seeing them buy tops and sell bottoms. Yep. How do you guys uh, in education or just in your own management, because we're all susceptible to it. Um, it's hard when you're you know doing your research and everybody's going nuts over, over the current trajectory. How do you guys um, fight through the noise and the news headlines and just the always on? Uh, do you see that as a hurdle to investors or a challenge in keeping some people out? So when I built the business, the requirement here is to have a client profile. We got to get to know a client and we do that right away early on. And what I've done is inside that client profile and getting to know them and their bit about their financial situation, we've incorporated a bottom portion to it that goes into some of the bigger risk and downfalls of digital assets. So right away at the gate, outside of like the initial conversation with a new client or family office is okay. Like let's learn a little bit about you, but then let's also just clarify here with no emotions involved, no dollars at risk. Like this is the history of Bitcoin or other digital assets and these sell-offs. Like how would you feel at these times and what would your financial situation look like? And how would you be able to maybe play this? Would you be able to add more? You know, if it's down, we get that out of the way right away in the beginning. And then that really sets up for a good investment plan to implement. And then when it happens, like March of 2022, this drawdown, we don't see panic. You know, we're not mm -hmm. getting these emergency phone calls. We're not in a, in a, in a fast market. It's, it's, it's like it comes back in their subconscious to, you know, hey, I remember having these conversations with them. Is this the time that we add more? you know, and, and, you know, you know, you try to avoid selling, you know, at the bottom. And, and that's what we, you know, one of the key things in doing this is, is setting it up from the beginning. Yeah. That was, um, the, just here recently, a couple of months ago, we go from whatever it was 46 or 42 to 30 in 10 minutes. Um, I wake up, I've got a ton of text, ton of, and I just kind of looked at it. And I was like, oh, okay. Because when you do that plan, it's smart because when you do that planning, and you've seen these this particular market, and you've seen other markets do this, um, maybe not as volatile, but it's that plan that you, you don't just plan for the upside. You plan for the downside, and there's various levels underneath where I'm doing nothing, I'm adding, um, or I'm just, you know, I'm not I'm not selling into lows. That that's just kind of defeats the purpose. But if you're not over, you know, if you're not over allocated you're less freaked out. So um, we do a lot of that on the front end as well um, in our planning and even continuously because people's emotions and opinions change based on job, what's going on in their family, uh, what's happening with their income, all these different factors that we do. We've kind of developed this wealth languages. So we've kind of matched their personality to their money uh, habits. And uh, so we've got quizzes. We run them through for that. We use Riskalyze, um, which is a good way to, it's a simple way to explain risk rather than, you know, getting into risk adjusted returns and all the fancy kind of hocus pocus. Um, so that's smart and it does work. Uh, we do the same. Yeah. It can be boring for people that are out there you know, that might listen to this and take the venture on their own. Um, these client profiles and learn about yourself and risk disclosures. I mean, you could just Google search and find some things, you know, you have to fill them out. If you opened up the TD account, uh, mm -hmm. you should do it you know, at least once a year, understand what you're looking at yourself, you know, and, and, and answer them honestly. And, and it'll help you out in this space. And a newer one, um, Ray Dalio has a new assessment out 
and it's about 45 minutes long. It, it's super deep, but is extremely accurate. I recommend everybody go do that one. You can do it with your spouse uh, because then you can compare and it tells you how you're going to react and how they're going to react. So yeah, his personality stuff that they do in that firm, and it's just, he's really ramped it up lately in the last few years mm-hmm. and making people take these tests so they understand how to communicate better with each other in the firm. It's incredible what he's done. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. It's definitely yeah. worth looking at doing. It's amazing. And, and I mean, I think that it feeds into what we're doing here today is we're trying to get the traditional guys to communicate with the crypto guys because there's, there's just that they might be speaking the same same language, but you can just see it that they're not. And I feel like the investors have kind of suffered one way or the other, either, you know, too over allocated to crypto, not allocated at all, or just not enough. I'm like bridging this gap and like kind of the focus of this is where we started was it's easy to say, you know, Oh, look, it's down, you know, stay away. It's risky or, you know, make your own decision, but there is resources out there. Not as a, like, not talking from an educational standpoint, but from partners, you know, there's, there's, there are experts out there. You know, there's other people you can talk to. We're here. There's, uh, there's other platforms um, like on ramp, there's blockchain um, who, who we're partners with too, that you can kind of get into and get access to this market to help your clients out or push them into the, to the right place. I know there could be some conflicts of like recommending an outside firm to do, but there's gotta be a little bit of leniency to try to get people into, into better hands. Um, and I think that by being genuine and saying, you know, I'm still learning about this, like for the time being, go with this guy or, um, or even reaching out yourself as an advisor and make a partnership with one of these groups is a start in the right direction. So you, you, you stay at least current and don't get bypassed in, in, in what could be just a, a boring traditional market. I think uh, compared to traditional markets um, and, and other, re- the, the amount of resources that you can get for free in this asset class is hands down the, the best source of information out there. I mean, you're getting econ, you're getting geopolitical, you're getting a history of money, an investment asset trade, whatever your fancy is, there's, there's no other space that I can think of that offers other than just the internet period. Do you have a Bloomberg terminal? I used to. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I used to have one too as well. Um, so it's uh, 23, 2,500 bucks a month. Yeah. It kind of aggregates all the news and you can run Mm -hmm. technicals, but if in the digital asset space, yeah, there's some companies trying to do the same thing, but it's already all out there. Mm Mm-hmm. You can do a block explorer. You can go to Glassnode. You can you can pull all these things together and overlay your own, and it costs nothing. It's so it's funny you say that. So I had one for five years, and um, I loved it. Great communication. Well, by the way, uh, that was yeah. a big part of what I used it for. I used to sit on chats with Tom DeMarc and those guys back in the day um, when they had it for it was a year and a half. They had it for free. They had the whole entire resources. So, and that fit kind of my views of the market, the way they looked at things, I would chat hedge fund managers, political people, you know, legit, just like you and I connected. Hey, I see what you guys are doing. And some of them responsible don't you build some friendships, but I was talking to somebody the other day who has one and uh, the older traditional guy been in the business forever, wall street guy. I'll never be able to get rid of my Bloomberg terminal. And I was like, look, I get it. 
but it's an addiction. I said, the first six months are going to be tough, but I promise you can do everything and more that you do on that terminal. You just have to cobble together all the pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And and for the most part free, there's some cost, but, but not $2,500 a month. That's right. That's right. Outside of trading and just getting caught up in, in, in trading and watching the price, do you guys, or do you have an opinion or a stance that, that a benefit of crypto in general, regardless of, of coin or, or kind of a way that you pitch it to um, clients and prospects? Definitely. So for digital assets, this is a way for you to control some value. Like whether you think that's in dollars or in stocks or anything it is, and then particularly like Bitcoin is you know that there's a finite amount of it and you can actually hold the core asset. When you have your money dollars per se with a bank that are out apothecating it or lending it, they're borrowing it, you're seeing zero on that. And that's why your money just sits there and you don't make any interest on this. But when you own the pure asset, you own something like Bitcoin and you have it as a core, you're in control of it. You can do anything you want with it. You can send it anywhere you want. You don't have to go through all these trips of a wire. And on top of it, you're the one that can decide if you want to lend it or borrow it and how much rate you want to get. And you can reciprocate a majority of that rate. You are in the most control of an investment when you're in digital assets. I think that's a good point um, because there's a lot of research and studies and a lot of um, Andres and a lot of those guys that kind of point out when technology comes in and invades an industry, all the jobs don't go away. They drastically change, require new skills, but if you look forward 10 years and everybody's their own banker, that's pretty powerful thinking about the stuff that you might do. So when everybody became their own postman, what happened? There was more communication. There were more businesses set up. So now that it's focused on money, I can only imagine what is still to come. I mean, that's how early uh, it feels like. So that's a good point. Um, Doesn't mean that there's not going to be advisors, there's not going to be fund managers like you guys. Um, our, our jobs might be different, but there's probably going to be more just doing different skills. That's, that's a good right. point. Um, so that's, for the most part, that's that's kind of covers all the things I thought we would talk about in a little bit more today. Um, one question, and, and maybe you have an answer if you don't. Is, is there any one or two books or resources uh, that, that you kind of fall back on as in just making a recommendation to somebody that's still kind of on the fence, completely in the dark, uh, wants to know more. Yeah, I, I thought of one earlier and I'm just going to shoot this one out because you reminded me of something. Have you ever read uh, Reminiscence of a Stock Operator? Love it. Awesome. It might be a little, a little off topic or a little deep for some people listening to this, but that, that I thought of that earlier when you were talking about your history and stuff like that. So uh, m- maybe that one, if you want to like, because it talks about reading the tape, right? And if yeah. You're and going into it, uh, it's an interesting story and a book three and it's, it's, it's just a great story. So I think that's the, yeah, I think I, I love the book, uh, because all the tape reading and, and stuff that is, it's harder today. It's, it's much easier in crypto than in traditional markets, but you hit it there. It's a story that if you're not in the business, interested in the business or whatnot, I promise you, you will probably want to go trade something by the yeah. time you finish the book. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess yeah. that goes against our, you know, take the long-term approach, but uh, it is a great well, story. Hey, you remember the end of the story though. There's a little too much trading going on. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you know, that turns out and goes, what about you? What about on your side? What do you pitch? What do you think? Um, 
you know, Bitcoin standard is very good um, because it just, it takes a different approach psychologically. And ironically, it's not that much about Bitcoin. Um, it's more about time preference. And I think today everybody lives in the Twitter world yeah. too much instant gratification. So I think that kind of brings you back to home. Um, and then uh, for me, probably another one was thank you for being late. And it's more about how fast the world is sped up and how fast information travels and that you can't say, Hey, I went to, I went through to school through high school and I did my four years of college. I'm done learning. You know, we talked about on this, that one of the beauties of this, you know, industry is the ability to continuously learn. Um, and, and it walks through that and it walks through how ultimately, um, and you're seeing it now. And so it was written years ago, but, um, corporations will start on the job training forever continuously and not just, Hey, you graduated college. You're good because you used to could do that. And that knowledge would last 20 years, 15 years. And now it lasts eight months. Um, so those two. Yeah. So maybe just to wrap it up and come through like what we see and we talk about it here in the office is like, it's, it's like never a dull moment with this stuff mm-hmm. because you, you have dollars that are out there and that's just a, an, an asset, right? But in this asset class, it actually has technology with it and it's ever evolving. So you'll come in and you'll read something. You're like, oh, wait a minute. So that can be, you know, that and you can, you know, there's flash loans and, and you're just like, wow, like this mm-hmm. stuff is amazing. And that's where like get, starting in earlier is easier to remember because this, the, the space is just going to expand in width wise, it's going to be harder to know the history of it versus getting in earlier on. Um, and that, and, and we see that like the, the, the gap of like, when we, when we talk to like our family office clients or business clients, like who we help is like, all right, we, we can't play. We're not even going to be able to catch up. We need, we need an expert in here because this, this technology is doing this and we need to incorporate it. Let's get some assets. Like let, let's figure it out together. And I think that that, like what you said, I got to check that book out. That's, I'm going to put it on. It, it's really good. Um, and it's not a hard read. read. It goes through fast. Um, I think to, to hit on that point, not to keep us going, but um, with lightning and, and things of that nature, I, I kind of feel like you're looking at the guys that decided in 98, 99, they were going to start developing web pages. Seemingly boring job. Like, oh, well, how many web pages do we really need? And now here we are two decades later. And if you're a web developer, you're one of the most highly sought after, you know, sought after people out there. And there's more web developers and it's, it's you know, far more advanced than just HTML code. Um, so I think if, when you look at the growth of lightning nodes and the difficulty of how to open a channel and get money across a channel two years ago to now, it's that to me is the path of, of, you know, finance or, or banking might be, might go the way of the modern day web developer. Yeah. That, that, that story doesn't get told enough because it's kind of boring and not that exciting. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's something that like, it's impressive. Very. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Brian, I appreciate it today. And, um, you know, if you want to maybe give everybody an idea of where your site is, how to get in touch, if, this is something that's interesting to them and um yeah 
I, I want to commend you too, Kane. You, you, you know, you've had some some interesting names on on your your short list of uh, podcasts, but uh, the way the rate you're going, it's going to pick up, and you're going to get a lot of attention here. So thanks for having me on. This was really fun. Uh, the website for us is daim.io. That stands for Digital Asset Investment Management, and you can contact us through the portal. Ask any questions you want. We're here to help. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate that, and hope to have uh, more guys on just like you. And thank you, Kane. Thank you.